You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. Because we... Oh, I just had a new idea. I need to write this down. I'm Marshall Ryan Moresca. I'm Cass Morris. I'm Rowena Miller. And this is episode 59. Ooh, shiny! Crafting a world from shiny ideas. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of World Building for Masochists. This week, um, we want to take some time to revisit where we've been and look at where you might go when you are crafting a world. Um, Before we hit there, do we have any announcements or catch-up or anything that we need to throw at our dear listeners? Have I? I don't think I've actually formally announced, at at least in our announcement section, that my next book comes out November 2nd, which is An Unintended Voyage, which is not set in the city of Meridane, but is set in the world of Meridane on the other side of the world. And it's, I hope to best describe, I need to work on the elevator pitch of this one when I start telling it to people. It picks up where, where which one <laughs> left off, not not like Parliament of the Bodies. most recent, but. Yeah, it's, if you've read Parliament of Bodies, you know that there's one big sort of cliffhangery thing dangling over the end of that book. And this book is about that character who is now stuck on the other side of the world. So that's that's as it's it's fascinating to try and pitch a book that the book concept itself is a spoiler, Huge spoiler. for another book. <laughs> but if you have read Parliament of Bodies and Marshall has been toying with your emotions as long as he's been toying with mine, then you too are surely looking forward to this release. So that's an unintended voyage coming out in on November second, and it really looks like it is coming out. That I love how surprised you sound. There, there was a period in the process where it was getting a little close, and I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> "Publishing is fun, friends. Publishing is so much fun." But <laughs> yes, and and dear readers, be be patient with with your writers because. With the whole pandemic thing, too, like... There is that. Even basic things like getting books printed and shipped have become (laughs) giant hurdles. So I am hearing about release dates getting pushed back all over the place for fun reasons that have nothing to do with with anyone's work or work ethic or ability to put out anything, but with things like, we couldn't get that container container ship. (laughs) Just straight up (laughs) out of it. (laughs) or ran out of people to run the paper machines i've heard about that happening too they've just had stuff stuff in this crazy world trust us we want our books out as badly as you do um so yeah that's that's actually close marshall that's exciting it is close yeah so i'm excited so hopefully our listeners are excited too and hopefully everyone will go buy it because because i have a mortgage and (laughs) (laughs) well and i think in a lot of ways this project of marshall's segues really nicely into what we're going to talk about today which is taking shiny ideas and like doing something with them because just that little that little tiny bit of 
of a piece that you dangle at the end of one book becomes a thing that you spin off into an entirely different project. And I feel like sometimes world building ideas are like that too. You have this tiny little idea that in fact can be a kernel for an entire project. Or not. Maybe it was just a fun, shiny idea. So, <laughs> like, how do you know what the difference is for you between, like, ooh, shiny, this is fun and pretty, and like, oh, I can do something with this? Like, how do you figure that out? You know, it's funny. You, you said kernel, but the thing that stuck in my head was that, like, little bit of grit that gets in a clam that, because it's an irritant, <laughs> then, like, the clam covers and becomes a pearl, and it's like... For me, that's what it is. It's like if it's something that is just bugging me so much that I can't let it go, like that's how I know it's a thing that then becomes like a world building thing or, or a project idea of like, oh, I th this is just going to gnaw at me until I do it, isn't it? OK, well, then I guess I guess that's what's happening now. I think I've mentioned before a lot of my ideas start as like an aesthetic, a picture, a snippet of dialogue. And sometimes that is absolutely all there is to it. And the way I find out is by writing down whatever that initial snippet is and sort of setting it aside and seeing if I feel the urge to come back to it. Or did the act of writing down that little bit purge whatever, you know, word ghost briefly inhabited me <laughs> and made me write those words. And if there's no more, there's no more. But if there's more to it, then I, I can come back. And I feel like there's different points at which I can realize an idea is unworkable. It can be there at the very beginning. It can be like 10K in. when I It's usually when I realize I have no plot, that I have a cool idea with no plot underneath it. Yeah, like there's different, different jumping off points where it becomes clear that the idea is unviable. Uh, or I hear my agent's voice in my head saying like, oh, that's great, sweetie. We can't sell that. <laughs> well, yeah, because it depends on what the goal is for something, right? Like you have this amazingly cool world and like maybe you've got a story percolating, but if the reality is if you want to sell it in a traditional novel format to a traditional publisher, there are considerations. But if you don't want to do that, those are not considerations and go bonkers. Like, is this a book or is this a role-playing game campaign idea in which, like, the fact that you don't necessarily have a plot, that doesn't matter as much because the plot can evolve as you go along. Because really, you're just doing aesthetic and setting with your, with your players and letting the plot come with them sometimes. It depends on, it depends on how you game master whatever role-playing game you do. It's been... It's been a minute since I've done any of that, so it may it might be different with the kids today. With, <laughs> with the kids with their five E. <laughs> Let me tell you, last thing I've purchased is second edition. Whoa! So, like, <laughs> so that that should give you a sense of where I am dated wise on the role playing game on the D and D front. <laughs> That's a good point, though. Like the shiny fun idea might be more or less workable based on what your goal for it is. And there are some ideas that are only short stories. You know, there are some ideas that are full novels. There are some ideas that might only be microfiction ever. And there's places to put that out in the world. There's things to do with that. Or yeah, there are ideas that are the genesis for a game. And I think that's awesome. And there's definitely, and I've seen this plenty of times where the world building is clearly centered around like this 
nugget of plot idea for like whatever this story is going to be. And then if you try, especially if you see stories like that, where then like they attempt sequels or something and it just isn't working because the world was never designed to do anything other than tell that first story in the first place. And then, and trying to do more with it is just like, no, you, you, you did what was supposed to happen with that. And now, now there's nothing more here. You know, it's a great example of that is when Disney tries to turn one of its animated movies into an animated series because it, oh, it does yes. not always work. Sometimes it does. The Aladdin series is gold. Like the animation quality clearly goes down, but the stories are fantastic. You get some of the best villains and it's because like that story was designed to set up other adventures. Those characters are designed for adventuring. They live in this mythological world that has all these possible problems. But like when they tried to make more sequels to Cinderella, <laughs> they just sort of got weird. It was like, wait, what? That world was not designed <laughs> to go on after the end of that story. And you know what's interesting is then again, like with the whole goal thing, being being a person with small children who have small children's books, Disney has a bunch of like little stories that they've written about these characters that are like after the fact. And a lot of those actually work. Like, what are the mice doing now that they live in the castle with Cinderella? And it's like, it makes for a cute little story. It works. But like feature film, it is not. Yeah, you can't <laughs> quite. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you could hold that up for like a 13 episode season. I don't know. I don't think they've tried that. Like from the mouse perspective. <laughs> I watch that. I don't know. Be like Downton Abbey, but with mice. And you know, I say not a full-length novel, but I think that my daughter actually did just read a full-length novelization of one of the mice. So, I guess it does work. Maybe it could work. It could, but like, it could work. Like they tried to do. But you have to think about sequels. Right? What are the parameters that you're trying to do? Like they tried to do sequels to Beauty and the Beast, but you can't really do that because he's not the Beast anymore. So everything they did was like set during the montage in between. The world's longest <laughs> montage. Like that mo that montage really covered a lot of ground. <laughs> Here's a little side story that they did in the middle of that other movie. And there's not going to be any emotional journey in this thing we tell you because there's no space for that. Beauty and the Beast, the side quest. So have you ever had a just like really great world building idea, whether it's like a starter or even like a fully realized world that's like coming together that you have had to put aside or shelve or just scrap entirely because like for whatever reason, whether it's you don't have anything to do with it or just I, for me, it's been like my skill level is just not there yet or marketability. Like, has that ever happened to you? So I have this space opera setting that like I just kept making bigger because space is really big. And thus there's, there's no point where you can be like, okay, I've reached the end of space. <laughs> My brain just kept being like, well then what's on the other side of that? Douglas Adams would disagree with you. <laughs> and I just kept doing that and being like, I don't have, I don't have a story yet here. So why am I just still world building this? And then, so I definitely have, I've gone back and tinkered with it in, you know, I get waves usually when something else is due that I need to, that I start fiddling with that again because my brain's just like, this is boring. Why don't we instead play with that space setting again and see what we can figure out, okay? Then maybe we'll, but, but yeah, that's. It's your, per, it's your procrastination it world. Is, it's where you go to procrastinate. It totally is. And though now I have like five procrastination worlds that I've been fiddling with because, and 
and I've been telling myself, okay, you're going to write proposals for each of these worlds or else what, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and we'll see what happens. But, you know, but yeah. I have definitely had that happen a lot, many times for many different reasons. You know, some of them were the, the one I run into the most often is awesome idea. No plot. Um, my favorite one of those was a steampunk world that I started on ages ago, like 2006, I think when steampunk was still like cool. Um, which is part of the reason I also couldn't write it now because it's out of vogue, but it'll come back someday. But the idea, the generation of it was a... You could be the one who brings it Maybe. Back. I'm not sure I'm good enough yet. The generation of it was the idea of a fractured North American continent. A, a place where the United States does not stretch from sea to shining sea. And never has. It was never able to coalesce that much. And I actually had pinpointed the moment when that happens to an actual historical event during the War of 1812. During the Battle of Baltimore. They shelled Baltimore, and there was a, a shell that landed in the munitions building, um, in, in, in the fort there. And if it had not been a dud, it would have blown up half of Baltimore, probably, and the British would have been able to, to get in, and, and things would have gone very differently. But the shell was a dud, and it's like this one moment of history when, you know, but for a bit of wet powder... The entire course of that war, and thus possibly of the entire North American continent, would have changed. And so, like, I, I sort of spun out from there, like, okay, some of the states go back to Britain, some of the states go back to other things, some of the states stay independent. Like, how would that all domino out? And I had some really cool characters within this world, and I could not figure out what to do with them for the life of me. I tried a few things. They were all, like, either just really terrible fetch quests, or <laughs> just, like, I couldn't make something work. Maybe I will someday. It's definitely a back burner project that, like, it still sits there waiting. Maybe someday. But I couldn't make it work at the time. And it's it's in its box now, at least, for the time being. Rowena, you got very excited when I was talking about the War of 1812. <laughs> I, I did. I did. I got really excited. Because there are, honestly, so many of those little moments, like, where it's like, well, that could have really gone to crap instantly. I mean, and that's... But that does remind me of a lot of things. A big thing that I do a lot of the times is just world build and world build and world build until a plot rears its head. And and then I'm like, look, it's a plot in the wild. <laughs> it's natural habitat. Get it. Catch quick. it quickly. <laughs> because I can't start the actual writing process at all until I have a plot because that's just how i how i roll oh god I, see I'm i can't incapable i can just throw characters together let them talk no idea what they're doing why are they in new orleans i don't know stuff's going on there's a lot of that there's at <laughs> least like 40k of that project written that's just characters colliding into each other with no purpose oh that they, they, they have a purpose. purpose we just don't know it yet is mysterious we will discover and cloaked it. in shadows i certainly have some like old graveyard stuff of where I was under the delusion of like, I'll just write and see where it's going and where it's going is nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned about myself as a writer that I can't, that that's just not how I work. So I'm, I, it's not going to happen. <laughs> They're also like, so I stopped living under that delusion. <laughs> there are, there are projects from my earlier years that I look at now and like, there might be usable stuff in them, but I would never try to resurrect the project as it is because of the things 
I've learned because of things that I have gotten better at. And it's like, oh, no, that plot does that's that's not a good that's not a good plot structure. That's that's I don't that's a little too monarchist or that's a little too <laughs> out of vogue. Like there's just, you know, I've, I've had a while of, of doing this and of studying how the stories work. And I can look at so many older things and just be like, oh, honey, no, honey, no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think there's something to be said, too, that like if you have a really fantastic, shiny idea that you just know you're not there yet, like that is an OK thing to acknowledge. Like I, I have this this fond hope of I want to write a mermaid story, but I want it to be like political intrigue in like the actual like deep, like darkness. Everything is sludge. We're building everything from nothing because that's what the ocean is actually like. It's it's not all coral reefs and happiness. But I'm just not there yet. Like I'm like I don't even like language wise. I don't even know how to have these people talk because verbal language would not work for deep sea dwelling mermaids and more folk because that's they they whales i don't know that's not that's not great so i'm gonna like put a pin in that and come back to it after i've had a chance to marinate or decide that it's it's a fun shiny idea but it's just there's nothing there to work with but like that marination or crock pot or fermentation process can is i think such a valuable thing to do because a lot of times i will get this wild idea and my brain will not let me stop and until I at least type some of it out and then I can put it to the side. Like when I've done enough that it stops poking at me and then, then I can put it to the side for a while. And then like a year later, I'll look at it again and be like, okay, now, okay, now, now that it's, I've had time to ruminate of what this means and all that, then now I can, Ooh, now I can fight a plot. So as you're, you're building, and making decisions, um, especially when you're actually in the process of you're writing a thing. So you're like, you have made the concrete steps to make choices that, that cannot be undone or are difficult to undo. Like, how do you start to work in shiny, cool ideas into an existing structure that you've gotten built? Like, there are times that you realize, like, oh, shoot, I have already shut the door on that idea because of these other decisions that I have made, Right. I've decided magic works this way and then I can't just like right. flip the script two thirds of the way in and be like, actually, there's a secret other magic that will solve this problem. Or could you? <laughs> right. <laughs> or a wild mystic wanders out of the woods and has this secret other magic. But yeah, you have to you have to look at the place where the, the shiny ideas either break the universe, break the world. And if you can't find a way to rationalize that, if you can't find a way to hand wave it, then yeah, you probably have to let it go. Or, and this is another problem I have sometimes, is it one shiny idea too many? Are you trying to have too many shiny ideas simultaneously? And are they interfering with each other? <laughs> and that's a place I'm at when it comes to the space opera I keep trying to write, because I'm pretty sure I'm trying to write like three completely different books. <laughs> And I keep trying to do them all simultaneously. It's like, no, you need to separate those out a little bit more. Because if you don't, then at least at my skill level, I bet there are some authors who could handle that many. But like each shiny idea doesn't get the chance to shine if they're sort of globbing each other and competing for idea space and, and just becoming a mess. It's three divas on the stage at once. Yeah. 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 Well, and there's like, there's, there's, 
a piece of writing advice that gets passed around quite a bit that's like, don't hold back. Like, whatever it is that you're writing in this book, like, don't save something for the next book. Like, put it all in there. And it's like, well, if that's your problem, if saving things is your problem, like, okay, like, don't, don't limit yourself. But you also want to, you know, recognize when, you know, got to pick your shiny ideas. No, no, that's too many. You have to put <laughs> the, some back. The, um, you have to pick them. Is it Coco Chanel that had that? It's, it's with the accessories, like yes. spin <laughs> yeah. and then take, whatever catches yes. your eye. Take, take half of it off. Shiny ideas <laughs> off before you submit the manuscript, <laughs> before the manuscript leaves the house. It- well, and that's the other thing of if you've got like four or five different elements of this world that are, you know, different cultures or different, you know, big shiny ideas. Like clearly an entire world can in fact hold multiple shiny ideas because worlds are big places. But the big challenge is how do I take all these things and make it feel like a cohesive whole while also making a world feel rich and complex and deep in a way that is not going to bore the ever-loving fuck out of the reader because I'm just telling them all the stuff <laughs> about this world rather than letting them experience it. Well, and, and shiny ideas can be kind of like little bombs that rip your world apart in a way. Yeah. Like, they're, they're not the Tuesday afternoon taking out the garbage ideas. They're the, like, throw a grenade into this world ideas. And I think sometimes, like, the rewarding and fun but also challenging part of world building is doing a bit more of the what is the tuesday afternoon take the garbage out idea what is the you know basic how does the structure and framework and scaffolding of this world work so then i can let my shiny ideas really get center stage and play and let my characters do awesome things in this world the difference between you know the world can hold as many shiny ideas as you want but how many of them will the weight of the narrative bear without breaking the narratives back? Yeah. And that is, again, it gets to, this will also be different if you are someone who is designing a game because, you know, any books for for RPGs have all kinds of stuff that may not make it into an individual campaign. They can sort of throw everything at the wall and give you all of those shinies and all of those corners from all different parts of the world. And then we release additional source books and expansion sets and all that great stuff. Writing a novel narrative is different. It is a different genre of writing. And so you have to, you do have to pick and choose what you put on the page in a different way. Yeah, an RPG manual can be a, you know, a drawer full of seed packets, whereas your novel needs to be a well-tended garden. Ooh, nice metaphor. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been having fun um doing all kinds of chatting about different kinds of world building, but we haven't revisited the world that we've been kind of live world building on air in quite a while. Um, our garden has been left untended for quite some garden, time. It has. And I don't know if that means that it is growing more, more weedy and overgrown and we have to go and weed things out of it, or if it, everything's died off and we have to tend it back. I don't, I don't know what that means for our world. But we have a lot of shiny idea fodder and some shiny ideas given to us by our guests that we have the opportunity to work into the world. Um, But the question is, at this point, now that we've kind of like built some things, some things are there, we have made commitments to having some things being the way they are, like, how do we do it? Like, how do we start rolling this through? To 
sort of recap what our world is so far what we've what we've done so far is it's a earth-like world with human-like people and we don't really have too much other intelligent life we certainly don't have other humanoid races i think we we vetoed that a long time ago so we can't go adding them now yes (laughs) (laughs) it's already been locked in locked in so we you know we have a full world map it isn't particularly well labeled but it is at least well conceived it's big continents and small continents and archipelagos and biomes and climates for all of those areas and we have magic and we've sort of been kind of vague with it like where it's magic itself is tied to the land but what that exactly means is still We've been sort of like handy wavy, whatever about that. But the idea that it's actually we also left our, ourselves open in many ways. Like yeah. it was, I, I don't, I think it was somewhat intentional, but also fitting into what we're talking about here, creating opportunities by leaving some things kind of unsaid. That we said that each area of the world can have different kinds of magic. So we didn't decide that, you know, blanket the entire world has like this kind of spell magic and that's that. We said, hey, every every little area can do its own thing and has like that limitation, but also that level of possibility. Right. And it's at sort of like an age of sale level of tech. And that tends to be pretty not completely universal, but relatively universal worldwide and that it's a world that tends to be low on colonizing assholes and relatively <laughs> relatively good about like people being who they are where they are and nobody being too overtly stompy on each other which we did have good reasons for based on the geography and um, level of interconnectedness that this world would have plus one of the things with that we threw in with with our discussions with other with other authors then i think actually when we get to that when we get to that i think it 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 adds to that element of it very nicely so okay i'll just say it's the magical nude gate which is (laughs) (laughs) because it is such like a world defining thing that like once that's stuck in there like i feel like so much else like it's the thing that i think has to cause everything else to react the way it is like it is it is a big idea big shiny idea that i think is very defined but one thing it does is lets people travel everywhere communicate well everywhere but it's not particularly easy to actually like invade or colonize or conquer so so it facilitates communication and does not facilitate war the the magical nude gate in case we have listeners who haven't heard that episode (laughs) Was gifted to us by. No, d- don't don't explain it. Just was gifted to okay. us by. I am trying to be thoughtful of perhaps new listeners. We just love saying magical nude gate. I do. Yeah, we do magical love saying nude that. Gate over but I over. hate it when podcasts have like inside jokes they don't explain if you pick it up later. And this is perhaps our most recurring thing that and Griastaman, who will explain later. Griastaman. Yeah. The magical nude gate was gifted to us by Kate Elliott in the transportation episode. And it is a, a magic portal that you can use to, to go from one place to another, but you arrive without clothing. 
so we had a big discussion about because you can't take anything yeah, you can't with take you. Anything, you can take nothing with nothing you, with you including your clothing yeah. it, it it's terminator rules in terms of yes. how the teleportation works you show up just buck ass <laughs> naked and different cultures will deal with that in different ways you know some cultures, the buck-ass naked is fine. Walk down the street. Other cultures are going to be like, no, we're putting our gate inside a little bathhouse. There's going to be clothing, robes there for you, things Here's like that. robe. Other cultures are going to be like, we're not giving you that stuff, but we'll sell it to you. <laughs> so we, you we had a lot of fun thinking about the... tattooed on yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of fun thinking about the um, economic implications of the magical nude gate. The MNG, the MNG. <laughs> but yes, this is something that the, the MNG could very easily break a world if you, you know, have not considered how to incorporate it. And I think that there are ways that you could decide in folding it into a world to severely limit it. Like it only works in this one place or it only works on the full moon at these yeah. times. Yes. Or it only works um, if you have the, this particular route worked out um that it's you know it's taking it goes from point a to point b and that's it um but you can also as we've talked about fold it into all kinds of different cultures in different ways so the mng it's the grenade that you can throw into your world but it is it's it's a fun grenade in so many ways but i think it is also of all the things that were gifted to us by by our various guests i think it's the one that is the biggest game changer of like how yes. a world will work. Although PJ Manny's universal translator also a major thing. But again, that's a thing. It, it, it fits in terms of the kind of world that we're talking about, where it's going to facilitate communication. It's, it's going to add to the world being on a larger scale, a cosmopolitan place where people interact with each other in different cultures and don't stomp all over each other. We're, 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 we just want, to, and so I actually really like that because like sort of our big goal way back in the beginning was, let's, is, was creating a world that was relatively asshole light without stomping on each other. And so these are concepts that facilitate that to a, to a larger level, which I really like. So as I mean, magical nude gate, we, we are keeping it. It is a part of the world. I think it can be a relatively integral part of the world. I don't know that every... Every human on the world has access to it, but it's something that is known about, accepted. I was picturing like major cities perhaps have like a magical nude gate. They're they're linked to the network, but it's I don't know, it's like like airports or like major train stations or something. Was my was my thought. What do y'all think? Oh, I I think that's I think that's a very good idea. Now the question is, is the network is it something that happened naturally or was it built and if it happened naturally is that where cities are because that's where the gates were well and if magic is tied to the land in some way perhaps the magical nude gates only work between certain magical spaces or center holds that like complement each other in some way so you can get from certain places to one another but it's not a go anywhere because those magics somehow interact with one another in a way that allows yeah. for the magical nude gate and 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 what is the interconnectivity like can a jump to b because they're similar and b can jump to c because they have some other similarity but a couldn't jump straight to c like how transitive is it and how right 
Are there clusters? We're going to have to we're going to have to create the magical nude gate subway map. Yes, I love that. Oh, that's but good. here's a question I want to know. So we each we each had a culture that we were developing as as kind of our little corner. Um, how how would your cultures use and react to the magical nude gate? Oh, mine have the bathhouses and the robes. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> so we should probably recap our our little sections of the world. Um, I had Fjolnir, which is basically a cold climate Nile Delta. A, a country that's you know two miles wide and a thousand miles long, uh, sort of a Scandinavian Netherlands type flair, river culture, uh, very industrious culture. Occasional flooding issues. They make a lot of paper. They make I think I had them have pigments too. They had some some magic pigments as I recall. It is a culture full of Virgos. They are very organized, uh, very industrious. They do know how to have fun, but at the appropriate time, you know? Like, this is our party time of year. This is not our party time of year. Because they do, you know, it's sort of a, a reflection of living in their climate. So they are very buttoned up. I do picture them in sort of like Northern European Renaissance clothing a lot, like like you see in Dutch paintings and things. So I feel like they would really appreciate the utility of the magical nude gate, but be very awkward about actually using it. And there's probably like a procession of rooms you go through <laughs> to like formally disrobe and re-robe <laughs> when going to and from the magical nude gate. I think they're probably a little awkward about it. Like they make sure each person gets to go through the gate by themselves. Like yes. and there's, you know, it's yes. very like, this is your time to go through the yes. gate. <laughs> there's, there's like a series of doors. So you have a nudity airlock. Yes. It's a, yes. Yes. <laughs> Plus, it's cold, so like they probably need it to be a warm room as well. Like there needs to be it. it it's probably like concentric circles to keep in the warmth because they live in a they live in a cold climate. So certain times of year, especially like if the river's freezing over, like you got to like be it. real careful using the magical nude gate. <laughs> but are they sauna people? I feel like Griasta is going to be slightly uh, different in their approach, Marshall. Oh, I would say so. So Griasta is a Mediter- <laughs> Mediterranean part of the world, which is basically like extroverted merchants and let's just say partiers who will you know always want to have a good time and like i was thinking just today of like the their main cultural attitude in terms of how anything actually gets done in such a place is everyone is a people pleaser so there is a certain amount of like like if everyone's having a party then who's actually like like tending to the fields and making food and things like that. It's like, but people do that because they're like, look what I made for you. Please enjoy it. Like that's a big cultural element of it. And plus they, they harvest these snails that when you lick them, you go on a crazy trip and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and yeah. So, and they're extroverts. They just, they want to visit every part of the world. They want every part of the world to visit them. It's a great place to go and probably a terrible place to grow up. But yeah. But the kids it's... who survive to adulthood <laughs> <laughs> without licking the wrong snails, they're in for a good life. They're in for a good life. They And they'll probably travel somewhere else and then be like, wow, okay, now I actually learned some stuff and had some discipline, but now I'm going to go back home and, and have some fun. Now that, I, like, the, I think the idea of traveling to another part of the world and spending a few years there is like, it's sort of like their inverse rumspringa. <laughs> <laughs> and see, this is the place where you can start getting 
stories. Because <laughs> your Griasta people show up in Fjallanir for their inverted Rumspringa, <laughs> that's comedy gold right there. That is <laughs> classic comedy scenario. Because they're just going to walk through all the doors and forget it. Like, no, you're supposed to put the clothes on there. It's like, oh, oh, okay. And they that's open what the, you want. They open the outer door and realize it's four degrees outside. It's like, yeah, we were serious about the robes. <laughs> we're, we're not just prudes. This is a good idea. <laughs> I feel like Cass's world, like, corner of the world, too, like, it's only using the magical nude gate for very responsible purposes. And I have a feeling that whoever Griasta's partner in, in the door is, is just used to them occasionally, like, getting drunk on snails and wandering through. <laughs> just sort of like, dude, there is going to be this awesome, like, meteor shower on the other side of the world now. So we just got to go. We're just going. And we're going to see it. <laughs> and, and yeah, they kind of get mad when you show up. But trust me it's worth it and the wine there is so good i'm picturing them like like because what if like the gates like you can go from a to b but to get from b to c it's a different actual gate like they're in the same city but like they're on opposite sides of the city so like all these griasta folk just streaking <laughs> through the city people. just like <laughs> griasta oh, yeah, college it's... students just streaking across the city to get to the other gate so they can make their connection <laughs> By the way, I, I think I think that we should put a pen in for a future episode determining who your primary magical nude gate partner is in the world and then developing that and like having a fun little It's like your sister city world build. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So So I think that my, my island people, because Al Lear is a trade and shipping and luxury um, goods being grown there. Um, I have a feeling they were probably using the magical nude gate for trade alliances and things like this. But I think that because they are, they're definitely a little snobby and they have like an elite and a non-elite. So I think their expectation is that only people on the same social strata as them are using the magical nude gate. And when you show up or have people show up, like showing appropriate hospitality and comfort is the appropriate thing to do when someone comes to the magical nude gate. Like you're going to be tired and nude. So here's a comfortable set of clothing and some nice refreshing tea. Take your time in the magical nude gate room until you feel refreshed and can come out and appropriately meet with us as polite society. I think the, the Fjall Neri would like that. I think they would like to visit you. I think that they would yeah. get along. Yes. <laughs> so we probably should not be partners in this so that we can appropriately shock. Yes. Her. Yeah. No. It's a, we have to get through a connecting gate to get to y'all. Yes. Every city is like an airport where you like have to go from this gate to the next gate and then make a connection to the other side, the next continent. And, you know, so, no, or, or is it like, or is it like more like Amtrak where it's like, you can't actually get there from here. You can get to these places, but this is our close little circuit, and that's all that you can do. You cannot, you cannot go to Griasta from, from Alnutlir. I'm sorry, you have to actually sail there or sail to some place that has a magical nude gate that oh, will allow you to do so. Are some cities like on a closed circuit? That's like these five cities. You can only basically get to these five cities. Like none of them is a hub, or are you know? Because I would think there would have, right. there would certainly be. Like some cities like only have one or two gates and some have like seven or eight and thus, you know, can go can be these more 
cosmopolitan central hubs of the world? I feel like these are all really good questions to like put a pin in and develop further. Yeah, we need, we need yes. to noodle on on the nature yes. of the MNG. Like, is it yes. natural or is it now made? that we have determined? And like my instinct, a is, little bit of yeah, both. Yeah, a little bit of both. Yeah. My, my instinct is like natural but nurtured, and so like maybe there are places where they've the the, ma- the magical nude gate has decayed and that's why you can't get there anymore or something like i don't know like, i feel like there's a lot of metaphysics we need there's to, all kinds of ideas we need to pull yeah. I, I i love the idea that they exist and link naturally but but a little bit of man-made coaxing they exist naturally but you know only big enough for a mouse to go through and you have to like you know i don't know like like let the mushroom circle grow or whatever it is and yeah <laughs> build the gateway uh, or something. Also, I, before we move on from the magical nude gate, I did realize We will never move our... on from the magical <laughs> nude gate. I mean, temporarily move on. I, I realized a slight loophole in our you can't take anything with you, which would be obviously living things can pass through the magical nude gate. So if if we determine that those living things can be non-human, then Griasta Man can take snails with him wherever he wants. You know, I was thinking... Though this is not this is one of our old bits from since the, the last one, but when I think it was uh Shannon, Shannon Chakraborty, what she gifted on us was the concept of giving yes. menageries as like as yes. a gift for you know as part of like you know social lubricant of like here we have collected these animals and we'll give them and if the animals can go through the gate then that that makes sense. In terms of like, here's an easy gift yes. to do because you don't have to like load it on a boat and actually send it send it around the world. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> They're laughing at my face because I am picturing Fjallanir's first snail licking. I just I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think Fjallanir would just ban the snails. All these, and after the sur- get, after the first get, time, certainly it get, would not get through customs. <laughs> they get yeah. confiscated in like room two. Like you get your robe on <laughs> and you get your snails taken away. No, 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 no. <laughs> Bunch of Virgos just tripping balls. It would be, it'd be, it'd be something the first time they got away with it and then <laughs> never again. So we have, believe it or not, talked about things other than the magical nudity gate since the last time that we were all built together. I know it's difficult to believe, but we have. And as I look over kind of our, our episode list from the past almost a year, not quite, like, what to you are the topics that we have talked about that you're like, yeah, we would need to address this. Like, we, we, need, we need to hammer this one out for our world. Well, it's interesting because this, this in some ways still would tie to the idea of the magical nude gate in the way that transportation of course ties to this. Everything Everything would. does. Um, but, like, time. <laughs> the idea of time. Does our world sort of share that unity in the way that our modern world has basically all gotten on the same page with, like, how long an hour is? How universal are clocks? How universal yeah. is the calendar? That yeah. yeah, that's a you know, and that could be a really good place for the world being in a process of change, or a process of like conflict over that. Because we've said you know, we do have the magical nude gate, but that's pretty limited transportation. You can't have mass amounts of sharing. You can have quite a bit of sharing, but not at the same level of sending whole boatloads of people somewhere. So we would be at a point that as people begin to connect more and more, you would come to realize, oh, you think about how a day works differently than I do. You think about how, you know, to break up the year differently than I do and would begin to like, at least recognize those differences. 
even if we didn't come to a universal agreement on them, like understanding like, oh yeah, you know, those people over in Griasta measure out their day differently than I do. And would like say the cultures from who have the cities that are the bigger gate hubs, would there be a certain amount of, I want to say soft cultural imperialism where it's like, listen, y'all have to get on our calendar because y'all are coming through here. And if we're going to have a schedule work, then do it our way. Okay. So just cope because our calendar makes sense. Cause we decided it did <laughs> like, like how in our actual world, you know, lo- longitude is derived from Greenwich, England of all places, <laughs> because that's where they printed the charts that, you know, all sailors used. So guess that's the center of the world. <laughs> yeah. Or how all air traffic control is done in English because because Americans did planes first on the commercial level. So therefore <laughs> Sorry. So therefore everybody else has to just get on board and do air traffic control in English. And so would there be like the gate traffic control in whatever big big hubs? And would they be like, no, 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 no. You got to schedule these things. You, you got to schedule these things on our calendar because that's how that's got to work. Because we're not <laughs> learning these, your would dumb there calendar. Be like, <laughs> would there be kind of, as, as people shared through the magical nudity gate, you know, developing a system of MNG time. That's kind of like how, you know, we have, we have military time where you do the whole 24 hours, but nobody else uses that. So it's like, you've got MNG time, and that's how we all understand how that works. But I just, when I go home, I'm on, I'm on Al-Nalir time. That, that's how I, that's how I think about it. My day has 13 blobs that are connected together through varying, varying lengths. I don't know. I think it'd be really interesting if we are in a, in a position of change and of flux where that is still being negotiated. Where the major cultures are sort of where you've got you know london versus paris trying to assert themselves as the center of everything because if we then thought about projecting this forward into a story that can suddenly become an interesting plot element you know oh and you can also have the fact that this is age of sail people are developing other ways in the magical nudity gate to travel yeah. so all of a sudden your city that had that extra couple of hubs that's not but you're landlocked, so monopoly that it used to be. Now I can build my ship, and why why am I not the center of the world? Yeah. Uh-huh. Or here's this place that was sort of you know only had the one gate, but now they've got this great resource, other resource that can't go through the gate, and they've got the best ships. So suddenly, are they a player now in a way that we weren't thinking about twenty years ago? And is that now the center of the world? And just the way. One of the things I think about in world building all the time is stuff like how Denmark was the second most powerful country in the world for a while. And like, that seems really weird now to think about. The English were terrified of the Dutch Navy. Yeah. That time when Sweden was a power player. It didn't last long, but it was a time. <laughs> so Marshall, is is there a topic that you would would like to dive in on that we have not yet touched either with the magical nudity gate or without ah let's see what's one that we uh i think we we've covered the nudity and modesty episode that we had a while ago um <laughs> yeah. gender equality certainly 
like that's going to mean different things for different cultures. And if there's more and growing cultural communication than within within this world, then you're that's another great like story fodder thing of like if you're suddenly in communication with another culture where they're like, what are you talking about that women don't get the vote? That's that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then they're like, wait, why don't we get to vote? That's <laughs> and then you have a revolution. <laughs> but like but I think that is like one of the things like, because you're going to have the flow of ideas and that's that can be a big change in ideas within within two different cultures definitely and i mean also the potential for shifts in gender roles and the level of equality to go either direction yeah you know that just because i think that we sometimes get on like the progress train where it's like you know, yeah, technology is increasing and things are getting like better. So that means that, but like, that's not how it's always worked. Like sometimes advances in technology and advances in communication with other cultures have met like degradation of some groups' rights and some groups' level of equality. So I think, not that I want to do that in our world, but I think that choosing specific ways to to not have that happen is, is right. important. Because you can have something like, oh, well, we're doing a trade delegation with this culture and this culture doesn't ever want to talk to women. So therefore, we're not going to send any women on this. And then that becomes an ex- expectation over time. And then suddenly your own culture has gotten these you know, screwed up ideas of gender inequality baked in based off of this is who we're interacting with over there. So... Again, I come to like soft cultural imperialism where like you can start to impose your stupid ideas can, can as we know oh so well in 2021, stupid ideas can can travel and infect other places just as much as good ones. <laughs> yes. And sometimes having a level of technology or a level of interconnectedness can actually create situations where it's easier to oppress people. Yes. You know, you, you have, you know, the level of domestic and industrial versus industrial technology where it's like, actually, we just are going to have the men work and the women can go ahead and stay home then. So we'll just do that. And it's like, what, but that, hold on, wait, what did we, I didn't agree to this. I was running a shoe shop with my husband, but that's, that's all gone now. No, so, you know, I think that thinking about ways to build that equality into the development of a world and how the culture supports that. The the thing I'm noodling on right now for, for Fjallanir is that I had sort of established this idea of there being like different councils sort of based on age. And I'm wondering if their conception of gender might interlink with that somehow, that like people with uteruses of childbearing age because this culture is so much about like what can you produce and how can we we all contribute value to our society that like there probably is a lot of pressure to procreate but like are are people of childbearing capacity and age sort of sheltered from the dangerous jobs in some ways because it's like oh well for this time of your life this is what you're supposed to be focused on but then once you age out of that, like anything goes. I don't know. I'm not sure where I want to land on that yet. I need to think about it. But just because I had set up this like 
age generational differential, like maybe what gender means changes as you age in this world. I don't know. I'm think I'm thinking on it. I'm thinking. I think that's a good question. Like, does it have to be? I'll be. You know, you you are whatever you are, and that for your whole life, or does it have a meaning that that is in flux? I don't know. I'll be interested to see where you land. Yeah, I don't one, know. I got I got a really interesting. Yeah. I feel like for another one of our recent episodes that certainly decisions should probably be made is is the death episode. <laughs> because we talked a bit in that episode about like, what does death necessarily mean, especially within the context of a fantasy world? Like, does what do, is necromancy a possibility? And what does that mean on a metaphysical level? Is the afterworld a place that can be reached either physically or through communication can is it an open door we have in this world where ghosts can be talked to or ghosts ghosts are accepted to exist perhaps because we were talking about disney earlier you said is that an open door and i heard in my head (laughs) to the tune of love is an open door death is an open door which would be a very different movie but one i might watch yeah, that's. I mean, that's actually sort of Coco, isn't it? That's sort of. <laughs> that's sort of the plot of. It is Coco. Coco. Yeah. <laughs> His death is an open door. And there, there is a great example of where you're taking something about a cultural, you know, understanding and celebration of what death is in Mexico, and within the context of that story, making it legitimately the real thing of how death works, and, like, I think that is a big decision that we need to that needs to be made about any world especially you know and with this one is is death just you know the end as far as we're concerned or is there is there fluidity is there is there you know ways to communicate with the dead or not is that is that a way how this world works or not i am inclined to veer on the Many of the cultures have beliefs that it is. And who are we to say that they are wrong? Perhaps they they are, in fact, communicating with the dead, or they do, in fact, see ghosts. But that there's no universal agreement on that. Um, that it's not uh, just an open secret everyone knows. You know, yeah, when, when you die, you go to the in-between world closet and you live there for 10 years and can communicate with your descendants through a ritual we all know it we all know how to do it um instead of being kind of like yeah you know my culture we believe that the dead sing and we can hear them sometimes but no one can prove it really yeah i like the idea of there being fluidity and i think this is definitely something that could be strongly connected to the idea of there being different magical systems in different lands like can you actually resurrect the dead well, you can over on that subcontinent, but over here you can just talk to them. Like that might be wrapped in with those mechanics somehow. Right. And I think too that um, Amanda gave us her her um, bit of trivia. Her gift to us was a death cult that you could communicate with the dead, but you had to eat a piece of them. So we could say there could be a part of this world where that is in fact a strong part of their magic is some kind of. However that works, right? Whether it's some kind of time difference or you can, you're actually talking back in time or whether it's that you are 
reaching across the folds of of the afterlife to communicate with someone there however it is that it's working that it only works in that little corner or in that case where you're eating the brains of the dead and therefore actually accessing what was you know you're ingesting memories actually physically like with you know there's (laughs) i mean that's the whole like that's the whole plot of i zombie i mean that you know you eat she eats people's brains and then like gains part of who they were and their memories so it was a wacky show (laughs) i feel like this is also something that like depending on how long they've had this cult how much has it developed could manifest in different ways like do you have to oh god i i have such a necromancy squick i'm gonna get through the sentence though do you have to eat them while they're fresh or can you like (laughs) oh god okay can you have like freeze-dried ancestor if you pickle them and access a bit of somebody who died like 300 years ago because you've kept a little bit of powdered bone around just in case like I have questions. Good question. <laughs> and also, like, well, if you can preserve in some way and travel to that part of the world, does that become something that sometimes people are willing to do? That would like, be a really interesting we don't pilgrimage. Know how this yeah. person, right? We don't know how this person died. So we pickled some of them, and we are taking this jar, and we are taking it on this voyage to this place I- to uncover this mystery. And along the way, we will learn secrets about one another that. I don't know. That's where the story goes in my head. Which does beg the question. The pickled brain is the one that you learn along the way. No, that doesn't work. Are we saying that the magical nude gate cannot transport the dead? Well, they're not alive. So, so yeah, no. Okay. If, if our, so that can if be, our limit is living things. I mean, because like, that was one of the things we, we talked about with Amanda was the idea of like using necromancy just to physically raise the dead to make them walk home from wherever they are so get your own ass off this battlefield <laughs> i'm not i'm not right. doing it for you <laughs> so that the oh, act that of transport so mean to the is... ravens like what they do <laughs> deserve dinner the ravens just following them home and just kind of <laughs> oh, getting oh this is terrible <laughs> Oh. So moving on, <laughs> which is why part of that <laughs> ritual might be it's thing. it's gonna walk, but you gotta go with it to like shoo the ravens away the whole time. No, I have I have practiced being a nerd to this. My best friend is essentially a necromancer. He likes to taunt me with things like this all the time. So anyway, I feel like that all sort of ties into some things, at least about artifacts and you know stuff we we dug up. And found. <laughs> it's it's not always great grandpa. Sometimes it's other things. But certainly artifacts are, I mean, A, they can't go through the gate. So they tend to be, A, they're the thing, the sort of things that are either going to stay where they are or travel by ships. The larger idea there perhaps is like, how important is preservation to each culture within this world? Like, how much do they care about keeping track of their past, keeping track of history? And then how do they do it? Do they do it? through an oral culture do they do it by writing do they have museums things like that how how in tune is each place in this world with their own past and their own history or are they very forward focused and they're they're in the now and they're in the future and they're not all that concerned really about maintaining those records or are they living in the present licking snails and just (laughs) 
But that doesn't mean that they don't respect in-world texts, which That's is another true. one for them. They, you know, because when you're when you've licked a snail, then you've had this great idea and you write it down, and then people just keep that <laughs> writing that you so, did, even though. So you're telling me it that was... all of the poetry of Griasta is just Kublai Khan, just all of it, just. <laughs> yes, and there was no man from Porlock. Nobody interrupted him. <laughs> it's just a lot a lot of fever dream madness and it's and it's lovely except it's you know most other cultures are like you realize this is garbage don't you and they're like no man you just don't feel it get sent to the print shops in fjallanir and they're like dutifully (laughs) setting the type and just like constantly checking the does it really say that like those words don't okay fine we're We'll do what it says, I guess. <laughs> Those letters upside down? Yeah, don't know why. Okay, well, let's see if we can fit them into the printer that way. So as we're kind of like coming up on probably wrapping up time, a a fun little game that I thought that we could play, um, and you can include the magical nude gate or not, up to you, is we also had a lot of other gifts that were given us by our guests. And if you wanted to claim one as a potential story idea for that could happen in your corner of the world that shiny idea that could could blossom out into something else i love for griasta murray brennan's um leveling up your marriage sort of thing of having marriage be like various levels and with any individual you can move up you can move down and and the level of seriousness and commitment within your relationship can change over time. And I think that fits them very well because certainly lifelong monogamy does not fit them very well. But <laughs> <laughs> but I can see them being like, the two of us should be monogamous for a bit. And that's going to be, you know, so let's, let's, let's go up to seven, you and me, right now for, for at least a couple months. And then, then we'll bring it back down to a five. And are there like different rituals for which level you're going up to? Does the wedding ceremony change? Oh, absolutely. It, it, it would have to, I would think, because, and I think depending on the, like, some are very sort of low-key casual, like, you know, the, the, cultural equivalent of like putting in a relationship on your facebook page and then some of them are you know they're going to be a bigger party and then some of them are going to be a far more personal intimate ceremony and that's so yeah i think i think i'm thinking in terms of like concentric circles of like you the higher you get the smaller that circle will Mm, become I can imagine this as a really fantastic screwball rom-com, by the way. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It can be very Shakespearean and end with everyone getting married in different ways and switching and yes. everyone getting married all to each other. But who's who, who's <laughs> at a higher level with who? That depends. <laughs> oh, I thought she was my level five wife, but she's actually my level two wife. But they're twin sisters. Oh, no. Told a secret to the wrong level spouse. <laughs> Wild hijinks. Yeah, I can absolutely see that as like a restoration era comedy. <laughs> yes. I love it. I love it so much. How about y'all? I'm sort, of, I'm sort of torn between a few of them, but I think the one I'm circling in on the most is probably from Stina Liked, the... Um, Magical shock absorbers for carriages, which seems like a small thing. But it actually fits into what I was thinking about the last time we 
we visited our world and like the way that Fjallanir would accommodate for disability and for bodies and and things like that i think like the magical shock absorbers would be part of a techno magic they probably use which is designed to not necessarily be kind to you but to keep you useful to keep you fit and and <laughs> productive in their world i think they probably have lots of things like that that do sort of make life easier, more comfortable, but their reasoning for it is not perhaps as altruistic as, as we would conceive it. I, I, I kind of like that. I like the idea of them having that kind of techno magic. The magic of mechanical things is probably, and, and other object-based magic is probably big for them. I like it. So I'm kind of zeroing in on C.L. Clark had given us the idea of having some kind of social status being derived from singing ability um which fits your culture so well it fit my culture really well and i was kind of thinking that it would it would be really fun to do um kind of that that the upper class has their opera and their symphonies but that singing is part of all of the strata of of life and so you have like your dock workers or your sailors or something doing like these epic shanty battles like instead of a rat battle, it's a shanty battle, and like that, this being kind of the centerpiece of of some ridiculous action happening on the on the wharfs of Al Lear. Plus, I can just imagine Al Lear having some their own version of Eurovision, where it's just <laughs> <laughs> each each of the the parts of the Confederacy like send their you know send their champion for for some yes. big. Wacky. And like, and, <laughs> and while the upper class are doing this on like the stage, and it's like you know, like fully realized, like costumed opera, you have like ballad singers like literally getting in brawls in the streets because that's how they do it. But that's how they brawl is like they, you know, yeah, they have a song battle, <laughs> and then whoever it's like, I clearly lost, I I must hang my head in shame and walk away because you know. <laughs> I could see the also the culture like has a very like nobody nobody fibs about like no I didn't lose that one because like you know you know you know there's no there's no hiding it there's no pretending it it's very like yeah I didn't I didn't win that one so he, he hit that <laughs> he hit that high E I just can't nope nope I could tell I was flat I knew the whole time it's just I'm also picturing some like you know, tavern girl who's usually singing the body ballads and whatever, who then just like one day is just like, you know what? I'm kind of sick of this and just busts out with an aria. And then her whole life changes from there. Like that's her Cinderella stories. Or she, or she, she gets like, like sneaked into the Eurovision competition. And now she's like having to maneuver in like the high society and sing the arias instead of her, like her body tavern songs. But then, then, finale moment she wins by busting out like going back to the body tavern oh yeah <laughs> love it or some kind love of like it. fusion where she like combines the aria with the body tavern yes. song in some way yes. that is amazing and then and it turns out that all of the audience knows the song and sings along because we all have a little bit of body tavern wench in us good moment you've That's touched a good, both our hearts it. obviously yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's Listeners, it. you couldn't see this, but like Cass and I just both <laughs> put our hands to our chest because we just felt that. We felt that. I feel that. 
<laughs> you were speaking our language with that one. Someday we have to actually write these things down. <laughs> we really should. We really should. Someday yeah. when we don't have books due a month ago. <laughs> we absolutely will. I do make this vow to our listeners. We will get the you know basic structure, the, the world building type things up into World of Anvil eventually. I will start on it once I have turned in a draft of my current book to my editor. And we'll see how far I get before I have to do other things. <laughs> we will do that. I absolutely promise. But whether something else ever comes out of this, who knows? We'll have to see. I feel like we have lots of comic potential here. I feel like we're not writing epics in this world. We no. are certainly not. It is. We are writing some fantastic it is romps. For fun. Just some it romps. is definitely, yes. definitely romps. Definitely. And you know what? Fantasy needs more. It needs more it just romps. It, it needs does. it needs stories where the fate of the world is not at stake, fun. but like the fate of who's gonna win the damn singing contest <laughs> is at stake. <laughs> I, I I really do feel that. I feel like we need to see that more in the genre. It needs the scandals of the magical nude gate. Yes. <laughs> and that's a title. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, that's the anthology title. We'll be, People would we'll buy be that, doing, I bet. <laughs> so we'll be doing As the all of our agents flinch. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> so all of our agents are like, wait, my client said what now? My client wants to put what out now? <laughs> I feel like your agent of any of them would be like, oh, I think Connor would be fine. all over it. <laughs> <laughs> all over it. So we'll see. Maybe we'll do that someday. Yes, well, we'll we'll see where the magical new gate <laughs> takes us next. Hi, you. Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode will go up on September 29th, where we'll be delving into world building as an ongoing, never-ending process. I'd also like to remind you that we are a finalist for the Hugo Award for Best Fan Cast. If you are eligible to vote for the Hugos, we would love your consideration. And if you want to learn how you can be eligible, visit discom3.org we really hope you liked this episode if you did please do take a minute to tell a friend shout about us on the internet or leave a review on itunes if you've got questions or you just want to tell us how cute we are there's a number of ways to contact us we're on twitter as at worldbuildcast and our email is worldbuildcast at gmail.com we also have a discord chat room Linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come and chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts. <laughs>